1: Of course, geeks. Flight 76 to Alaska. Uh, Alaska. Hey, <laughs> next. Seattle. We, we need to get to Alaska. <laughs> yeah, that was the pun because you're going to talk to us about Alaska Airlines. I mean, wow. So, guys, he hasn't told me almost anything about it. I mean, he sent me like a few things over Messenger when you were doing that trip. So I have like little hints of what it was. But I'm very curious and be listening and not talking at all when you're going to talk about Alaska <laughs> We're recording today uh, the
0: 7th of August. It's Tuesday, and for you, it's again very early in the morning, right? Yes, it's 7 a.m., and it is the end of the world here in California. Why? I wish you could see out of the window. It is the most horrendously eerie sky because of all the smoke from the fires that we're having here. We have the largest wildfire in California history happening at the moment, and it's about... It's about two hours north of us, and it takes up nearly a quarter of a million acres. And the smoke wow. here in the morning just blocks out the sun, so oh, it, it's wow. like it's like being in a Star Wars set. It's horrible, really, when you consider what's what's causing it. I'll tell you a little bit more about it later because I actually experienced it firsthand on my flight back from Boston. Does it give like some kind of red hue to the sky and something, or like very dark? Yeah, like- it's almost like a a pink a very very light pink or peach color wow. i mean the sun is up but it's it's so dim that you can look straight at it wow. yeah it's it's really bad and the air is is acrid my father-in-law who's an avid avid cyclist is canceling rides cuz it's, it's, the air is just it's not healthy to breathe
1: it's like living in Beijing, basically. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Weirdly enough, <laughs> I'm so- the wind uh, the wind patterns in the Bay Area mean that by middle of the day, the smoke is cleared from us and you can see it in the distance. But yeah, it's it's really, really bad.
1: And apologies, I didn't want to make light of the situation. I was just, no, no. It was just a pun. <laughs> wow, I mean, we, we had similar fires actually in Greece lately as well. It was actually quite uh, like this tinderbox type of scenarios. Yeah. I think this is what they're experiencing. And there was this fabulous and i'm sorry to use that term picture of this uh transform 747 that was uh uh, putting some fire retardant over those fires and because of that color the hue color of because of the fire was kind of reddish it was absolutely i think it's the ap that put, posted it or something it's i mean it's i say fabulous because it's beautiful but at the same time it's dire because you know what's actually going on, on the ground man i didn't realize you were that close oh wow. yeah it's it's,
0: it's pretty crazy and we you can see the the dc 10s that are doing the very similar fire suppression flights on all of the flight tracking apps here as well so yeah it's wow. it's it's, it's This is an annual occurrence, but this year is particularly bad. Well, we just started raining here in London. That saves my
1: ass now that I am... Uh, on the last floor of my building, and I was about to boil hot just to do this podcast with my dear friend Alex. And thank God it's actually raining, so it's cooling off the air. <laughs> Since Alex is very early in the morning, I- I'm gonna say a few a bit before he goes on to talk about Alaska. <laughs> uh, so he has time to get caffeinated, <laughs> and also and also oh yeah, I should mention, and also the you had to recuperate from your race.
0: You you did that uh, cycling race near Boston, right? Yeah, uh, you did last year. Yeah, uh, how was that? It was good. I did the Pan Mass. Track- challenge which is uh, just under 90 miles for me anyway you can do a, a bunch of different routes and this year they're going to raise at least 52 million dollars for cancer research so it's wow. it's it's a fun endeavor yeah it was it was very hot very humid very wet but I'm really glad I did it uh, it was it was a lot of fun
1: and you didn't do it with your brother this time because I took hostage of him. He, he was yeah. in London. <laughs> we just drank Kentucky bourbon together, there so, you, uh, you know, he had a choice between racing in Boston to right. raise awareness and money for cancer, or having a bourbon with Paul, and he decided to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Guys, he was actually here for work. Hi, Will. <laughs> so that's just It was so cool. Actually, I actually had never met him in person, so it was my first time. It was really, really cool. Yeah, I,
0: I hadn't realized that either, so I'm glad that, was, that, that happened. <laughs>
1: So, I usually don't start with shout outs, but there's a new trend that has developed in our followers and listeners uh, in the past few weeks that I wanted to catch on. There are two people. One is Sergey Ersh123, that's on Twitter. And the other one is uh, Dan Tan Dan. Uh, so, both have sent us a picture that's really cool. You need two smartphones, or maybe one smartphone and one camera, but they've been sending us a picture of our show on their phone whilst they were listening to it with a background of uh, both it was the wing of an aircraft one was clearly in business class because probably is a little bit in the front I cannot recognize the airline and the other one was slightly below the wing so probably in um, in economy I, I mean guys I don't want to ask you to do that but if you have two phones which for instance I do and you want to do that these are really cool pictures to see our podcast yeah. with uh, you listening and an aircraft in the back It's really cool. Uh, So, thank you, Dan. And thank you, Sergey. And Dan says definitely waiting for layovers to get themselves to Australia to test our products here. Taking their podcast on board seems about as close as they get right now. Well, you might be on for a surprise. I'm not going to say more, uh, Dan. And. Sergei says a sharklets sunset brand new airplane smell and most importantly the layovers podcast what more does an navy geek want I'm a listener from about episode 25 and absolutely love and how Paul and Alex mix facts and news with fun anecdotes from their travels keep it up guys so thank you so much guys it's really no, that's good. really kind yeah, I, yeah st- really. I
0: love the idea that people listen to it while they're flying I think that there's something uh, I don't know rather rather wonderful about that <laughs>
1: Uh, we also got a message from, uh, what's her name? Anita. She sent us a little video of a trip report. She did LAX, ETHRO, H-A-G. What is H-A-G again? I don't know. I don't remember now. My God, I should have checked before I actually started recording the show. I'm really sorry, Anita. So guys, look it up. You see, we're we're good AV geeks, but not perfect AV geeks, because I have no idea which airport that is, uh, to be honest with you. (laughs) And she did that with uh, two kids on BA. And I wanted to mention it because you also talked about your BA experience with your kids in the last episode. She says that BA did admirably, reasonably comfy ride, but she says the food was awful. <laughs> Next yeah. time, I will order a kid's meal from me. And that's a good idea, actually. Yeah, the kid's because
0: meals aren't bad. Again, I on I can't remember if I mentioned this on the last episode, but I pre-ordered my meal. And yes, you pay for it, but it is markedly better and you're served first in economy. And
1: she thanks you uh, for recommending the In-N-Out in and out in LAX because yeah. you haven't had a real burger till a A380 screams overhead while
0: chewing fries.
1: <laughs> I love that.
0: <laughs> That's uh, I'm and I'm taking my family down to LA today so that'll probably be one of our first stops and you remember Anita was a
1: person who had written us that she had some kind of fear of flying and yeah. she adds, I wasn't nearly as nervous flying with layovers in my ears. I mean, come on, thank you so much. We really
0: do appreciate that. That would give me PTSD, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad it helped.
1: I give him PTSD, guys. That's why he doesn't <laughs> want to hear <laughs> uh, A few things about the last episode as well. It was 075, and I had forgotten, and Mathieu Guillaume de Luc who was a longtime listener, told me, hey, Paul, you know that 75 is also the city code, the postcode, if you want, for Paris. Yeah, of course, I realize that i forgot that as a kid the old license plates uh, pre-eu had 75 and you would know when you were riding the highway oh that's a parisian so yeah it was also a little pun there and uh lucas meixner so lucas is a great guy because lucas was working for a company called social bakers they do like a oh, lot yeah, of uh yeah. maybe it was the co-founder i don't remember and one day a bit like uh, our friend mark said oh you know what i want to do something else in my life and he's training as a pilot and he's going to be a pilot for Ryanair.
0: wow Yeah, I I like hearing about people who do that. Who just go, you know what? I'm gonna finally do what I've always wanted to do. Exactly. Uh, he cannot
1: yet fly. Uh, Ryanair. I think he has to go through like the last bit of school or something. I don't remember. But we said that if Ryanair agrees, he will be on the show to tell us about maybe that epiphany and also how amazing. Yeah. how the school works and you know how you had to do and everything because that would be a very interesting for like a fresh you know a pilot to understand all the dynamics uh, here in Europe he was living in if I'm not mistaken the Czech Republic maybe I'm wrong Lucas please uh, forgive me if I I do and he he says about Paris (laughs) no sensible person can possibly love Charles de Gaulle Heathrow or
0: Frankfurt these three are tolerable at best well he has a point I think that that's Tolerable is, is, yeah, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> and uh, Michael Lepa at Royal Funk
1: was Finnish, and he was, you remember, guys, he was in Japan for a while, and maybe he's come back now. And he said something that that is yes, important that we didn't mention. He says, I have a 50% lost delay rate of checked luggage at Charles de Gaulle. 50%! Uh, and he says, also, when getting a taxi at Helsinki Airport with minimal luggage, the driver asks, coming from Paris? <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest having as you know guys I don't really fly Sky Team a lot I've done it a little bit more these days because they have good deals and I, I'm not uh, a stage for my miles but uh, I used to fly them almost exclusively and I never had an issue coming from going to Japan when I was there, but when I was going a lot to Brazil, I was doing London, Paris, Paris, Rio, for instance, and uh, yeah, uh, it's true. I think thirty uh, percent of my trip—we're talking like almost ten years ago—I was checking luggages, and uh, yeah, there's uh, at least thirty percent of the time my luggage didn't follow.
0: That's incredible. So I don't think that's like, an I, extraordinary I, failure rate.
1: I know that Milan MXP has the same issue. I know there's a quite a few airports who have bad reputation about luggage, but I forgot about uh, To be honest, I don't check in any luggage anymore, so very hard to judge these, but apparently it's still the case. <laughs> wow, <Jeez. laughs> there you go. A bad point for Charles de Gaulle. Wow. That
0: is a staggering statistic.
1: Yeah. About KLM, I also forgot because I had a, a message. I don't know the name of the person We did that. Uh, I'm sorry, again, because I'm really bad with my nose these days because a lot of work. Uh, it says, uh, did you not get uh, the little bottle? And I said, yeah, yeah it's true, actually. Uh, you know, the little house that you get at KLM. That's oh, quite yeah. a nice thing. Uh, yeah, it's quite a fun thing to do. I will, I will give him that. It's a... For those who don't know, it's a little house. There's actually a collection, and some of the houses are very rare. There's actually even websites to exchange houses, because there's some Rembrandt house I think is one of the rarest ones. They contain Dutch gin. I've never opened any of those that I have, I just showed Alex the one I just got. I don't know which one it is, actually. It's probably written somewhere, but I don't have time to, to read it now. Uh, the- <laughs> Back then, they said, well, is there a law that tells us drinks have to be served in a glass? And that's how they got away with it, basically by offering this gift. They knew, of course, that people wouldn't open them in the flight, but that's actually gin inside. It has a long uh, shelf life, so I think I can still open it maybe in 10 years or something. Yeah, you
0: know? <laughs> may take the edge off. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, there you go. If you're fear of flying, fly KLM and get, drink, the, yeah, the yeah,
0: drink the free gin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, also guys because somebody uh, corrected me yeah it was not flight KL107 but really 807 that I was taking yeah obviously I'm so, really sorry I mean some people are really that's what you know that, that very good AV Geeks following us because if they know that kind of details that are for like a quick mistake yeah. I or you do is like they're very precise so people are listening we have to. they're paying attention <laughs> they do <laughs> 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 And I also, had that ever happened to you? You remember guys, I did Amsterdam to Taipei and Taipei to Manila with the same flight, different crew. And when we are, I'm not sure which freedom it is, I mean, I don't know if they are allowed to board passengers from Taipei to Manila, but I will always remember because the first time ever I had that in a flight, and maybe you had that, Alex, in such a configuration, they said, we will not show the safety video because everybody has been informed in Amsterdam. Hmm. That sounds strange for me. Like, as in, I really thought that no matter what, you have to put the video up at the beginning of a flight.
0: No? If no one got off and no one got on, I can see how they can get away with that. Bless them for doing that, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, I mean, it was, I mean, of course I had seen it. And we're frequent flyers. And, again, as, uh, as I just said, maybe they're not allowed but they don't have the rights to take passenger on, which of course in that case or maybe they just with a manifest that day there were not new passengers. Yeah. But still it sounds uh, you know, it's three
0: minutes. But I mean not pretty sad. Yeah, maybe. Like I was they, just surprised. Know, they, 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 yeah, I know. I I don't think I've ever experienced that. But it sound if they had a speech prepared and they made the decision, it sounds like They have a process in place that says, you know, if there's nobody coming on, then we don't need to show it. Hooray for everybody.
1: Or maybe they just forgot. Or yeah. And we were about to take off like, oh well, there you go. This is yeah, that's (laughs) our our
0: CYA move.
1: (laughs) One last thing about them. It, I watched the e i f e and it's really uh, because we always talk about you know the type of content, how many TV shows they have, how many series movies, whatever they have on the. Uh, there's one thing that really surprised me about in a good way, actually, about KLM. There's no censorship whatsoever. You have all the curse words you want, the swears words that will be usually bleeped out or is changed in some airlines. You have, you know, nudity, you have language. It's quite a it's quite striking actually compared to some of the other airlines when you you, you feel that they've been like uh, overdubbing some of
0: the words. A lot of them work hard to yeah, to to edit them, and then there's like these massive non sequitur cuts in the in the films and TV shows. Yeah. So, anyway,
1: that was that was a fun comment. And uh, talking about safety video, have you seen the new um, Turkish airline safety video? The Lego the, one. Yeah, very oh, clever. It's so good. It's so good. I mean, honestly, it probably is one of the best I've I've seen. And they have the Batman, which is my favorite character. Yeah. <laughs> and they have it. Really works well. It's it's very clever. Uh, hats off to Turkish because in the last episode we were not very. Uh, keen uh, towards them but hats off it's really cool guys it's on youtube the full version and on facebook and on twitter you have the one minute version but the full version is really worth it because it's a it must have cost quite, quite
0: a lot of money but it's really really, really yeah. fun yeah they did a good job with it i was wondering when somebody might do something with lego it must have cost them <laughs> just the licensing alone must have cost them a fortune
1: yeah all the characters are there you know it's, it's really guys really good and it, it, it even have a song I don't know if it's as good as everything is awesome, but it's quite catchy. So we could actually have a lot of Turkish uh, frequent flyers uh, singing that song in their heads very yeah. quickly, actually. <laughs> <laughs> One a bit sad news, uh, Joel Robuchon, the most Michelin star restaurateur ever uh, passed away in Switzerland uh, yesterday, actually. Uh, he was 73, just cancer, sadly. Um, actually, similar to my parents. Uh, the reason I mention him is that you can still, uh, of course, eat at these restaurants. But if you're flying Air France, first class I'm not going to talk about my Air France flight in this episode because of time I will probably do it in the next one but uh, he prepared the menu for Air France it was I think his first time ever doing uh, Air France menu and uh, there was this interview I don't know where I caught it I'll try to find it and if I ever start doing show notes again I'll promise you I'll put the link there but uh, they were asking me what do you order when you fly he answered I sleep And when I do eat, I'm very easy to please. I like simple dishes, so just tomatoes and avocado will do. Hmm. It's a a reasonable person. Uh, Part of the fun is to look at what equipment exists and then to see how we can be driven to make great product without an entire kitchen or kitchen staff at our disposal. It is extremely important to be able to create something that can be executed impeccably. Dishes I create will only be served to those that are traveling long distance, obviously. Perhaps it's because I have, as a Frenchman, a reputation of putting butter and heavy ingredients that put people to sleep. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it's a very good strategy.
0: It's yeah, he, he will be sadly missed. He was uh, he was a character as well as okay. a as a wonderful uh, chef and restaurateur, as you say. Yeah, yeah. The, the culinary world has had a rough year. Clearly, ah, uh, clearly. I think was it Bocuse? It was last year or something as well. Yeah, Jonathan are they are Gold, uh, L.A. Times food critic. Or, um, yeah, yeah. It's been Bourdain, obviously. It's uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tough year.
1: Uh, talking about uh, food, uh, I finally listened to the latest episode of Mastication Nation about. Olive oil, oh, yeah, we add. Not olives, but olive oil, because you have both a for olives. Yeah, weirdly. Uh, and you didn't mention the word grease a single time in
0: the whole episode, so I'm not sure I can be friends anymore with you guys. Yeah, we did. We, that was a massive and glaring omission on our part, for which we humbly apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it's a
1: fascinating episode. It's one of your best. I really loved it. I learned quite a lot of things, actually, in, in there. And it ties up very well with the comment we made in the last episode about that guy who was producing the olive oil, for British Airways. And the pictures he showed me, they clearly have a farm. So it's clearly not olives imported from Spain and or Greece. It's
0: actually Italian olive oil in that case. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That's that's good. That's good to know. That at least somebody is playing by the rules. <laughs> so, Alex, you're not a teen anymore. Maybe
1: you are. I don't know. I don't know if you qualify as a millennial or a Gen, what's it less, or Gen Z or whatever is that? Because I don't know if you've read that news. Because you're in the U.S., you might have. I missed it last time. There was this uh, teenager in Arkansas who's not a pilot, and he tried to <laughs> steal. An American Eagle passenger jet from uh, Texarkana Regional Airport because he wanted to go to a rap concert. Uh, So he had no idea, obviously, how to fly it. And by the time he had reached the aircraft, you know, the police had been called because it was trespassing and whatever. But the guy actually said, yeah, I wanted just to fly to see this concert. So I I tried to steal an American Eagle passenger
0: jet. That's incredible.
1: (laughs) What would he have done if he had been in the commands? You just don't... You know, it's like a car. You don't have the keys and you just start, right? Yeah,
0: I don't... Jeez, Louise. I mean, that's a great story. It almost sounds like an Onion article in its absurdity. But you know what? Good effort, man. (laughs) Enjoy jail. Nothing to do with aviation, but a similar sense. There was a story,
1: I think, yesterday uh, about these two elderly German gentlemen they were in um you know elderly at home and they had disappeared and nobody knew where they are and uh, they were found at the biggest heavy metal festival in the world uh, walking rocking other tunes and that's why they had disappeared I mean you know what I wish I went up that old I do that kind of shit right I, I did I, I did see that one that was fantastic. So you're not a teen anymore, but uh, how did you react to Alaska? So tell us a little bit about that flight and why you go. I mean, you went to Seattle, which is the airport of this show. We'll talk about at the end. But how was the flight both legs? I have no idea. I've never flown them.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I flew. I flew one leg on Alaska Metal and one leg on X Virgin America Metal. Purely out of morbid curiosity, more than anything, there were <laughs> there were many other carriers that flew that route. It's a it's a highly trafficked route, and Seattle is, I think it's um, Alaska's home base. But I was just I was curious. Curiosity got the better of me, so I I booked uh, that I was flying out of San Francisco, out of Terminal Two, which is the old international terminal, which was really badly damaged in the nineteen eighty nine earthquake. And it's where Virgin America was based out of as well. So, the first strike, and I was going in there trying really hard to hate them, you know, <laughs> like uh, I, I wasn't being professional about this at all. Going, okay, I'm gonna give them benefit of doubt and be put my critical thinking cap on and, and and be truly neutral. There was none of that. Uh, no lounge. I was in first class. There was no lounge, <laughs> and unfortunately. Pro tip, by the way, there's no priority pass lounge in Terminal 2 at San Francisco. There is one in the international terminal, the Air France KLM Lounge, but there isn't one. There's an American Airlines Admirals Club, but I could not get in. I was not eligible, even though the lady at the desk, and again, kudos to American Airlines, spent a good few minutes trying to figure out a way that she could let me in without getting in trouble. But it it wasn't the end of the world. So that was strike one. strike two, the airplane was very, very old. I think it was a winglet-less 737. I think it was about about 18 years old. And you can tell by this point, I'm just nitpicking. (laughs) (laughs) But it was, it was an old airplane and it had the older style domestic first class that we're all, we all know and love that basically everybody still has those big sort of recliner seats we boarded on time. The boarding process was very smooth, very easy. The check-in agent was very friendly. Um, and yeah, the, the the plane, it did feel a little bit old inside, but it was still very, very comfortable. It's 2-2 in, in, in business on the 737, or first, whatever they want to call it, on 737. And you know what? The in-flight experience was very, very good. And it really makes me slightly nauseous to say that. Um <laughs> But uh, people have always said that. When I bitch about Alaska on Twitter, people have always said, they're not bad. And that's exactly how I would describe it. Not bad. There was nothing incredible about it. No wow moments at all. They've done a good job removing everything that could generate wow. But it was friendly, attentive, but not overly cheery, you know, in in a sort of condescending and irritating way. You had a menu where you could pick a hot or a cold item. I think I sent you a picture of the sort of crudité platter yeah, that I, remember I got. That. Sorry, how long
1: was the flight for?
0: Just under two hours. Okay. So full drink service, warm nuts, a beautifully presented fresh crudité platter, nothing packaged, nothing that I had to scoop out of a package or anything. like. It was all presented really nicely in China. The glasses were served in nice tumblers, whether it was alcoholic or non-alcoholic. They had Wi-Fi, wasn't the fastest in the world nor was it free. And you could stream, you could stream content, but there was no live TV. Yeah, it was it was it was fine. Again, nothing to write home about, nothing special about it, but for an American airline in my recent experiences, it wasn't bad. And that's about as that's honestly about as about as much as I can say.
1: Was the return different from the the other yes. one? Was it oh,
0: oh, the return I paid a lot more attention to because it was an old Virgin America airplane, so I knew was it an Airbus. It was an Airbus. It was a it was a 320. Those uh, who
1: are Alaska don't want basically because I think they're all Boeing, right? Well, they well, they
0: claim they are, and I think the stra- I was talking to a few folks about this recently. That I think the strategy is they're going to wait for the leases to expire on the Airbuses and then return them, except for a few 321s, which they've already repainted. And a few 320s where the lease was or the configuration would allow them to do the transcons, which they didn't have enough airplanes for.
1: We'll talk later on about the 321, because I think the reason they do that is because, well, Boeing doesn't have a 757. So it's a good aircraft for some of the routes. For but anyway, those, go on.
0: Yeah, for those transcons, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think for them, it fits in with the fleet strategy a bit more. Yeah, so the return flight was on a Virgin America airplane. Obviously, I know that product intimately. So I was interested to see if the soft or hard product had changed at all. The first thing that was interesting was our flight was delayed because they couldn't find the crew. (laughs) And it was delayed for about 40 minutes because they couldn't find the crew and we were waiting and waiting and waiting. When we finally got on board, the captain explained that when they had landed from their previous flight on a different airplane, they were at a gate on the other side of the airport. And I can't remember the name of the terminal that we were in is under massive renovation, Seattle like many other airports in America as we'll touch on later, is sort of this hodgepodge of of growth and expansion over, you know, 60 70 years. And then you get on board and the Virgin America first class seats are these sort of white leather recliners which are now really starting to show their age. They they look worn. Oh, um, wow! i only
1: fly them twice. You remember when I went from l a to uh, uh
0: and it's they were
1: fantastic.
0: They're very comfortable seats, yeah. They were looking a little bit worn, and they're not blue. <laughs> sorry they're not blue no they're 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 white. I <laughs> white. didn't actually look back in the main cabin to see the state of the of the main cabin seats, but obviously white is going to show wear a lot faster than yeah. black will. but I think no, I know that the crew were wearing Virgin America uniforms still, oh wow, which if anybody is from Alaska or Virgin America that listens, can you tell us what the status of that is? Because somebody flew on a Virgin America flight recently last week and said that the Virgin America crew were wearing Alaska uniforms. So that seems – that seems unimpressively inconsistent if that's the case. It should be one or t'other as far as I'm concerned.
1: Or maybe simply they still have the crews on different contracts,
0: and as long as these guys don't have a single contract, they just balance the crew, so maybe they took Alaska crew... But then they would have to be three... Yeah, I know, qualified, you're right, yeah. They would have to be Airbus qualified, so I'm I'm not sure. Well, maybe it's just a transition period. I I think think that's probably what it is, but it was all Virgin America branded. They still play the safety video, which you know, is everybody seems to love I I don't really love it. The dancing safety video. The safety card just still Virgin America. The napkins and stemware is all still branded Virgin America. But the IFE and the food have been massively degraded. Really, really disappointingly so. Sorry, the
1: IFE still branded Virgin America, though, but they just removed a lot of the content. Is that what you're saying? It's sort
0: of been been watered down. So it's it's not nearly as Virgin America-y as it was in terms of the even the UX and the branding and the design. And then the content has been... Ma- it's almost useless. I would, I would be pissed if that was the IFE offering on a transcon. Wow. You'd be really bored. There's no live TV anymore. So they're they're really losing out to their competition on the especially on those long hauls because everybody has live TV. The on demand content offerings were maybe a quarter of what it, they used to be. The games they used to have on there, which were actually for air, IFE games, were really good. We were the first airline to have Doom ported to an IFE. They're just Linux boxes, so it's actually pretty easy. None of that. So it was really disappointing. The food was was very mediocre compared to what the Virgin America food was. The service was was fine. It was much colder than the Alaska service, which I think. And I'd be interested to hear from those of you that have flown on Virgin America to tell me if this is if my experience is a one off or if it's consistent with what you've experienced. It was cold, but it was I think a reflection of just a general dissatisfaction of how the the merger has gone. Oh, yeah. from from a, an in flight team perspective, from what I gather listening to snippets of conversations, the Virgin America crews have been a little bit screwed on seniority as they've tried to merge the various rosters together. And I think that's pissed off a lot of people because that Mm. your seniority at the very least allows you to bid on certain routes and timings. And if you lose your seniority or it's reduced by, you know, your rank is reduced by literally thousands, then you lose that ability to bid on a preferred route. So Perhaps the person had had a bad day, but it was consistent across the few flight attendants that we had. So I'd seen people comment on Twitter. People have sent me messages saying how much the experience has degraded. Funnily enough, when I flew on JetBlue, a guy was complaining about our flight and it was baseless because I enjoyed the flight. And then he said to me, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. I really miss Virgin. I was like, oh, was Virgin that much better? Putting on my sort of naive hat. Of course it was better. <laughs> and he sort of explained, yeah, he's like, you know, even when you fly Alaska, it's not the same. They're not as fun. It's not, it's, it's not just not as good. It really seems like they've, they've screwed something that could have been very valuable to them. And they've lost a lot of loyalty. He said, I've switched over to JetBlue now because you know, Alaska is not as good caring for the Virgin America product. And I bet a lot of other people have done that too.
1: Basically, what you're saying is that it doesn't make you feel anything. I mean, you have a particular position because, of course, you were involved emotionally as well with the product. But if I were just a simple passenger, having been used, and for me, again, it was only twice that I've seen Virgin America. But if I expect that kind of fun, then obviously Alaska, which is very, you know, your granddaddy corporate type of airline. Yeah. And that's a lot of good things about that. You know, it's yeah. stable and it's, it's very safe. It was amenable it was, and you know, yep. like uh, on so time. Not,
0: yeah, but exactly. It was so. boring. Yeah. There was it, nothing. You're, you're absolutely right. I didn't feel anything, anything as a, yeah. as a flyer that I thought, this is this is above and beyond. This is innovative. This is creative. This is this is better than anybody else has.
1: But I, I think everyone who listens now seventy six, my God, episodes. They all said that every time we talk about an experience, we talk about a soft product, the hard product, the people, the seats, whatever. But at the end of the day, it always boils down to that: is has it given us any type of feeling? Yeah. And this is why last week KLM didn't give me any feelings, and United doesn't give me any feelings, yeah. and then you have Emirates you know, for all people can criticize them or, you know, Cathay gives you a feeling and for different reasons. So we're not here comparing Virgin America to Cathay, for instance, but they all give you something to say, oh, you know, that's a reason I like this airline. Thus, I like the brand or I like their people. This is why we're, we are so torn sometimes with BA where the product is so sober then the people make up for it. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think that's the thing. I mean, If I were to live, maybe where you are now, or why would I choose Alaska over something else? Either it's like half of the price, and okay, well there you go, or it has to offer me something.
0: Yeah, and yeah, it just it wasn't anything to write home about, and I would certainly not go out of my way to choose them. And I am being objective when I say that there would, you Mm. know, I've had so many really good domestic U.S. airline experiences in the last two to three years that I know what my options are, and it's not something that I would go, oh I can't wait to fly them again or I will go out of my way or I'll pay 20 percent more than a jetBlue or a Southwest or an American to experience yeah. I just I just wouldn't yeah um, they had a lounge in Alaska in Alaska I did the same thing <laughs> they had a lounge in Seattle it was fine it had good views of the apron it had a pancake making machine which is That's apparently cool. the yeah I mean you press a button and it poops out a pancake uh and it's whatever it was it was fine um but again yeah it just I didn't feel anything about it, and that's—it's a bit frustrating. I totally understand. You know, I I did this. I do this on all my American flights now because because I can. I love listening to liveatc.net. Yeah, because yeah. everybody, especially JetBlue, and I can talk about that trip a little bit later, but they have blazing fast Wi-Fi, so you can follow, and it's and available from when you board. None of this ten thousand feet nonsense and and so you can follow all the way if you if you know your air traffic control centers well centers, yeah you can you can follow the flight all the way along and it was particularly interesting coming in from sort of Nevada from from Boston when we flew over Nevada and people talking about asking for deviations because of the fires and the smoke just it's very interesting to listen to even as a casual traveler hearing the work that goes into that and hearing the calmness as they pass you from one person to another across the entire country you have to switch centers every time yourself right yes yeah you yes you do and that and that's fine and i
1: think no it's it, fine but i'm saying that i mean they or anyone else doing left tracker app could actually implement something that you say oh i'm on you know delta 111 and
0: just track me and switch for me on an app or something. I was thinking that would- about that too. And I think it would be complicated because you never know which frequency they're going to yeah. be yeah, switching to. But yeah, it was, it's very cool. It's a great app, fun to use. And you can, you, know, you can have Plane Finder open on your laptop and be listening to the air traffic control and see everybody flying around you. It's not as ultra nerdy as it sounds because there's something rather comforting about knowing there's all these people in the sky with you. And it's, there's something rather beautiful about it, I think. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's my. Uh, unfortunately, we can't do it in in the UK, but other places in Europe you can.
1: Yeah, in in Asia as well. Not all the countries allow it for legal reasons, but yeah, most of the countries you can actually. And Live ATC covers a lot of a, it's a lot of countries. Yeah,
0: it's really amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah it's really really well done. Um, oh, uh, as you understood, guys, a lot of the news today will be about the US. Uh, we'll move on to back to more Eastern destinations in our next episode because i already know which one that will be but we're not telling you um <laughs> southwest has stopped giving peanuts so usually we will not cover you know any airline stopping giving an item but that was almost like a staple for them they were known to give, i mean we i mean of course you know the allergies and everything's
0: probably you know that they had to but still it's a moment in time they stopped yeah. it was last week or something i think right? it's a real shame i think it's a it's a bad decision actually because it's so intertwined with therapy in fact Herb Kelleher's autobiography, he was a founder of Southwest, is just called Nuts exclamation mark. And there's a packet of wow. peanuts on the front. It's <laughs> it's so a part of who they are. And I think I think they just got sick of people throwing hissy fits that they served peanuts on airplanes. I'm not gonna get into that now because I'm probably gonna piss off a bunch of people. I just think it was a bad decision. And a real shame. Although I th- there was like a I, and I cut this out of the corner of my eye, either a radio station or a TV station or something that wrote to Gary Kelly, the CEO, and said, can we have all the leftover peanuts? And they sent them.
1: I retweeted that on our Twitter was account. It, I think, was it a radio station? I think it's a radio station. And clearly, it also means that they had planned that for quite a while, because there was not a lot of packages remaining. It's no. not if they decided. So they really had, like, you know, until it lasts. And the last, maybe maybe what, like 300 packs or whatever, you see a photo of it. I think it's a radio station, because it K-something. Things, I think it awkward. was
0: too, yeah. Well, God knows what they're going to do with them.
1: Yeah, but that's so cool. I mean, it's also so cool that the CEO would they would do that. It was like, yeah. okay, here you go,
0: get them if you want them. I just <laughs> stuffed them in my carry-on bag whenever I flew on Southwest and just pulled them out and started eating them.
1: I love this kind of gift. By the way, uh, live, I have to thank you for this, man. I mean, this is super awesome. Oh, yeah, so, uh, I'm so glad <laughs> it arrived, and I hope it
0: arrived in one piece.
1: <laughs> well, I haven't opened it yet. So, uh, Alex just gifted me and sent me through FedEx a Boeing 748 scale model uh 1 400 uh wow it's really and it's a sunrise livery it's really amazing man um, thank you so much no did worries why did
0: you buy it i got that from the boeing factory did you go there I. so this is how much of a nerd i am we were up in seattle filming and i arrived there a day before greg because oh you told family. me yes 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 and i went to the boeing factory in everett which i had been to before but you know I can't not go there. And I needed to do some work on our, on our script. So they have this amazing outdoor viewing area on top of the museum itself. It's huge. It's, it's got maybe 30 or 40 tables and chairs and you can sit out there and you can see all of the, the new planes just basking in the sun, waiting for their paint or their first flight and watch the, I watched a, a Jal Dreamliner land after its very, very first flight, which was, which was really cool. Wow, that uh, so and they've cool. got a great shop, but the the best shop is at Boeing Field where they they make among other things the 737. They have the Museum of Flight there, which has the original 747, the original 727, original 737, the third dreamliner, Air Force 1, Blackbirds, amazing stuff as well as a great shop. So, I I went there twice. <laughs> <laughs> but actually I read a piece of news that
1: uh, I've never been to either, but uh, is that the, the Painfield music yeah. you're, you're talking about? Yeah. So I just read that the lease is up, so they will have to close part of that. And there's, there's a huge auction going on. You can buy, like, uh, the nose of a Boeing 727. You can buy like, stuff like tires. I mean, you can buy uh, almost anything because they, the lease is up, but they're not renewing it. I or, really I don't wish it, I don't that know. you hadn't
0: told me that because now thought... I'm going to go buy a bunch of stuff. <laughs>
1: It was on the Seattle Times. I remember that. I mean, guys, I'm so sorry. I don't have the notes in front of me because I was not expecting to talk about this in this episode. But, yeah, they are closing it. And there are also, like, smaller items, obviously, not only, like, stuff that you got to put in your house. Although there was a story of this guy, what was it, in Thailand who bought, like, the 747 and put it in his backyard. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's an opportunity. There's
0: an opportunity.
1: So, yeah, I think, I don't have all the details, but I think the will sub. I think they want to redevelop differently the area. I don't know if there will still be an exhibition, but much smaller
0: scale. But
1: clearly, so there is an auction.
0: Field is the, is where the Boeing factory is. So, I'll be interested to see where how that's all going to work. But if they're selling some of the stuff, then, uh, well, Boeing, you know where to find me.
1: I'm going to probably order stuff from you. Which, by the way, with your awesome gift here that I'll put in my office behind me, along with a few other planes. I mean, you have many more because you have the excuse of having a kid and I don't um, <laughs> it's I love this sticker. If it's not a Boeing, I'm not going.
0: It's yeah, really cool. <laughs> <laughs> they, they had quite a lot of that stuff. I, I didn't know that that was an official uh, Boeing tagline, but it, yes, it is. <gasps> Do you remember Dan, our ATC at SFO? Yeah, was clearly like
1: you know, I mean, anything Boeing is fine. So that's exactly for him, you know. And then I I I will I will put that on my maybe one my carry on next time I fly on Airbus just to see. The, there you go. Just to the, uh, see the, the eyes of the say. crew. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: since we're going to go to your JetBlue in a minute but since we mentioned it last time uh, the JetBlue founder the original founder of JetBlue uh, David Neilman is actually opening a new US airline startup so we don't have exactly any idea of what exactly it would be like if it would be an ultra low cost we are another JetBlue it would be an attempt to do something like Virgin America but he's saying that after years of US airline consolidation the conditions are there to create yet another airline and we said in the last that i think that he has put an order uh, i don't know if it's an option in order in these terms always you know how they go Uh, for like 60 a220 so the x c series bombardier because he thinks that operational costs they are perfect here you go we might
0: have something a bit fresh in the air i don't know what the strategy uh, from what i understand is going to be a a low-cost carrier in between the southwest and the spirits in the us so I still think I don't know. there's room for somebody to compete directly with the majors because of that consolidation, as you says, but the startup costs for something like that are yes, just... I, insane. I mean, a billion is probably what you would need to have a good go of it. But you remember when we talked about these uh, 10 most
1: revenue-heavy yeah. routes, not profitable, because again, we don't have the cost. The, there were two trends that in you know, there, the United one and not Delta, you know, a one. Both were in there, which means that these routes put a lot of revenue, so JetBlue and we know do it, but maybe there is room for competition. If you're that high yeah. uh, in terms of revenue, uh, there's always a piece of the market to grab. I'm, I'm sure there is. I'm sure If anybody is. can do it, it's him. Well, talking about startups, you just sent me as well uh, ario.com, which seems yet another attempt to solve
0: the problem, I'm rich and I want to fly private. Yeah, Aero's er from Garrett Cam's company, and Garrett is a smart guy, and very smart guy. He founded uber and all of these other companies under that i I can't remember what the name of the company is that that he founded but he's no fool and they've been talking about this aero you know revolutionizing air travel for years now and it's sort of launched and it's as you say it's just another private jet leasing app that no one actually needs (laughs) it's revolutionizing precisely nothing yeah, as far as I'm exactly. concerned. Perhaps it's, it's, it's where I'm missing something and I haven't seen what's so revolutionary no. about it.
1: No, we know. But there's like in the Valley, in LA as well, some in New York. I mean, because these are routes that, you know, again, wealthy people take. And you have a lot. There was another one, Aura, it's called AURA, which starting in 2019, so next year, and uh, they're going to fly CRJ-700s and same. And when you look at, it's a membership base and it's only private jets, and the interiors are amazing. And yeah, of course, I want to fly this, but this is not disrupting aviation, really, to be honest. It's just like instead of me, myself buying a Gulfstream, I'm going to subscribe to an app that allows me to fly a Gulfstream, which is clearly more accessible because, you know, I don't have 20 million to buy a Gulfstream. But at the same time, you know, Southwest is perfectly fine to do a TransCon or, yeah, of course,
0: JetBlue, a which will go blue, Yeah, in a there's minute. so many options there. I just. I, I'm looking forward to someone properly revolutionizing air travel. If it even needs it, frankly, I'm not yeah. sure. The pictures, though, of that aura—I mean, again, it's just a concept. I don't think they've yet put any seats in
1: any aircrafts. Are pretty, pretty amazing. But yeah, you go to any you know show like eBay in Geneva with all the uh, private jets, and you just walk into the oh, they look. Great, because obviously that's the kind of demographics you're after. Yeah. But uh, well, anyway, another the uh, I think it, was it the Washington Post. I think or maybe I'm wrong. Did an interview with uh, the CEO of Delta and the CEO of American. So uh, Ed Bastian and Duke Parker. And uh, they ask them to sit in their yeah. uh, economy seats of their own aircraft to do the interview, to see, well, how, and neither did really say that they actually fly them. They weren't into like very PR type of answers. Yeah, well, if there's no seats available in first and I'm last minute, I will go to economy. I mean, again, you know, corporate people fly, you know, first a business. I'm not here criticizing that. But of course, that doesn't play very well with the public. So yeah, you keep like reducing the space in the back. Have you actually experienced it? Uh, hint here as you could understand, United's Munoz uh, refused flat out to participate. So maybe he knows it actually doesn't fit in a seat in in the back Jeez. or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was not surprised by that, but it was a clever a clever angle by by who, who, whoever I think it was the Washington Post or like that. But yeah, I, I rather enjoyed reading that because they look uncomfortable in the press photos. <laughs> they do. To Delta's uh, win, they
1: are keeping still nine abreast and not ten abreast in the back. So you have the same legroom. I think it's thirty one. Inch on average now for all the three major US carriers, but at least Delta will have slightly more width uh, because he kept nine abreast. But again, remember, I just said the 10 most revenue heavy routes United and American are there, not Delta. So at the same time, maybe that's why. I don't know. Yeah, very <laughs> absolutely. Talking about United, the CFO left. So maybe he just had a recent flight, basic economy, and realized his mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Or that's the most likely explanation. He realizes that the goals of the company are unattainable. I think they are. There are a lot of people saying that the goals that United is pushing towards to is uh, insane, and that will create even more discomfort in the back. We'll see. I don't know. Um,
0: there's maybe a, a hint uh, there. I feel like they've had a few CFOs come and go in the last five years. Yeah, probably for so, all yeah. the same reason, as you just said. He said he's,
1: he was frustrated. I don't know if it's paraphrasing somebody said that or if he said that directly, but... Uh, wow, well, that's such well, a strong words to come out in the press. United is frustrating,
0: you know that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really is. I mean... Uh,
1: so what is not so probably as frustrating is JetBlue. I've never flown them. We already, I think exactly last year, probably the same period, you had
0: done a similar flight uh, yeah. uh, also to do that cycle race. So was it different this year? No, it was just as good. I flew in Mint, which they have on their 321s, and I think on a few of their 320s for long haul. I flew from San Francisco to Boston on a red eye, and they have these wonderful suites. They have a two-one as you go back. Uh, as opposed to across the airplane, two, one, two, one, two, one. I think A&A have a similar thing where your your feet, the feet of the people in the two by two seats go on either side of the person in the throne seat. Yeah. Um, so v- a very similar configuration. Yeah, great product, big screen, pretty good IFE. You have a hundred and... 50 channels of live TV, some good good movies, uh, satellite radio, blazing fast, free Wi-Fi for everybody on the airplane. Fast enough where you can – they partner with Amazon and you can stream Prime Video.
1: Oh, that's uh, cool.
0: Everybody on the plane can stream Prime Video. So it's very good. The food is outstanding. It's international business class quality from a, a cafe or a or a – maybe not as good as Emirates, but certainly better than B.A., Excellent, excellent food. Very friendly people. Really good amenity kit. Again, better than BAs. Um, they give really good bulky, you know, chunky noise canceling headphones if you if you need or want them. Uh, the bed itself, I think you might struggle to fit. If, to be completely <laughs> honest with you, because it 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 narrows pretty substantially towards the end, and I'm I'm just under six one, and while I'm comfortable, I would not want to spend too much time in there.
1: Uh, to be honest, there's not a lot of airlines with. For my height, I mean, I yeah. mentioned KLM, although the seat was meh, but at least I had the room. I will always try to, and I'm sure that other listeners that might be as tall as me or even taller, I'm gonna optimize the cubicle portion of it. I will yeah. say, okay, I need at least if I can't sleep fully straight, it's fine. I, you know, I'll manage, but I need at least for that that the cubicle doesn't like
0: completely compress my feet you know that yeah. I cannot move so I don't know yeah. if it was a case for JetBlue. blue uh no not too not too bad and you know it, the seat has a massage function if that's your thing
1: um <laughs> do you do you ever use those
0: no, God, <laughs> no no but it worked and it and it was fine they're clever on the red eyes and I actually I don't know if this is the same with other premium products in the US but they come and say look you know it's it's an express mail service which is still very good but when you land in Boston, they give you this kind of go bag of a, oh, of yeah, a hot yeah. bagel and cream cheese, a really, really nice, fresh smoothie, and a few other bits and pieces uh, so that you can kind of get up and go. So, do they give you that in the plane? Yes. Meaning they
1: had them since the Southern. It's not fresh from your destination
0: no no they give them to you right as you as it's, really land. It is it's really good it is good it's idea. such a good way of doing it so they don't wake no. you up until the the absolute last minute and you have this this little LED thing that you press if it's lit they'll wake you up for meal service if, it, if it's not then they won't so just just little things like, it, it's a it's an international business class product and I have to say one I don't do enough trans cons in America to know if this is seasonal or or unusual or very very regular but both legs were very turbulent, or consistently turbulent on the way back, which was a day flight. And actually, it's pretty crazy the difference in flight time. It was four hours and fifty-eight minutes there, and six and a half hours on the way back. But both were were turbulent. I think the, like the first four and a half hours of the of the leg back. Were very turbulent.
1: Oh, a lot of people are saying, I mean, probably it's, I don't know if it's already the case, a lot of people saying climate change will only make it more turbulent over the years and we'll have more and more. I mean, I cannot say out of the, guys, you remember I mentioned three flights in the past month that were turbulent. I cannot say it's climate change. I'm not a scientist. Yeah. But at least what they are saying is that in the future, there will be more climate issues, and thus more turbulences
0: overall. We're not saying here, Alex has just experienced that, but we need to raise ourselves to something like that. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. The the captain came on and said, as we were flying over the Chicago area, there's always turbulence at this time of year in the Great Lakes. It's like the Bay of Bengal. So that sounded pretty normal. But then when I looked at the weather maps, there was a jet stream sort of going from the southwest United States up to the northeast of Canada. So, But, I mean, jet streams, when you cross them, are usually you know, half an hour of pretty strong clear air turbulence. This was four hours of, you know, the seatbelt sign being on. And then interestingly, like I hinted to at the top of the show, when we flew into California, we flew over this massive fire. And it looked like you were looking down on this sort of, you were looking down on this sort of endless, yellowy, acrid-looking cloud. But we were still at cruise. We were at 36,000 feet. But the heat from the fire... Was causing substantial turbulence.
1: Oh wow! Uh, yeah. yeah, well, clearly, but wow! Holy cow! Wow! Yeah,
0: it was it was extraordinary, and you could hear airplanes on live ATC asking for deviations around the fire. They were a little lower, or they were taking off. So incredible! Wow! Yeah. Did it affect your final, or that was already off the fire? No, we were. I mean, it was still hazy. When you were coming in over the San Mateo Bridge, for those of you who know that up the Bay Area, you couldn't see the city of San Francisco. Uh, oh, wow. And that wasn't fog, uh, it was haze. Wow. Damn. Um,
1: That's insane.
0: I hope it gets better. Is it is it is it contained now or no? Not even oh, it's close. Not yet. It's growing. Oh my God! Um, last time I saw it was forty uh, percent contained, but then two fires merged, so uh, it's it's still still really bad. Wow. Well,
1: well, let's uh, let's hope that gets better soon. I mean, uh, let's hope that next time we record, although you you guys, uh, I said at the beginning of the show, it's Tuesday the seventh. This will not go on the air before probably the weekend, so the maybe twelfth. Meaning next summer record will be in two and a half weeks or something. I hope by then, because you'll still be, I think, in California. I hope by then it will be
0: contained. Yeah, me too. Me (laughs) too. It's it's extraordinary. But yes, JetBlue, great flight, great product. They don't have a lounge in Boston, but I used... One of the, the shared lounges there, which is more than actually is, is is mediocre, but it didn't really matter because they didn't have much time on the ground. I'm a big fan of JetBlue. They've got some really sensible partnerships, Aer Lingus, Emirates, Qatar Airways, Virgin, Cape Air, Virgin Atlantic. Uh, at least I think they're still partners, but certainly the others, they are, absolutely are. So you can accrue miles on just about anybody. And so you can actually book from like I don't know. I was going to say Fort Lauderdale, but Emirates already fly there from somewhere in the Midwest to Dubai on the same ticket. And you just switch from yeah, uh, JetBlue. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of JetBlue. The product and the service, both hard and soft product, are excellent. But I think I may have mentioned this last year. There's something about the tone of voice, which is just it needs work it's like if somebody handed me that branding project i would be all over it because it just yeah, yeah, needs yeah. a little bit of something it's it's just a bit too dad jokey obvious that some of the some of the writing but anyway that's such a microscopic detail in what is an otherwise really good experience interestingly and this is the point i'll end on jason rabinowitz who's at airline flyer follow him if you don't he's always got great stuff he noticed and is always quick to point this out, that JetBlue have the worst on-time performance of most of the American majors for some inexplicable reason. Both my flights were on time, if not really. So I don't know if it's just out of JFK, which then that explains it in and of itself, but there's something there that they need to work on, clearly. Well, there you go. I mean, I really hope to fly them in
1: it's something that we said the very first episodes, there's this long standing plan for them to fly international. I mean, they already do because they go to the Caribbean, but we really hope that at some point they will fly to London.
0: It would be great because that yeah. product is absolutely perfect for that route.
1: And London needs competition. I don't think I've actually mentioned again these ten most revenue heavy routes of last time. I don't think I mentioned the numbers. When we said that BA held the number one spot for that heathrow to GFK. It's more than a billion dollars in revenue. So it means there's room for other guys. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there is. I hope there is. Uh, and there should be. I mean, we'll talk, if we have time, we'll talk a little bit about Norwegian a little bit later because one piece of news is really cool. But since, you know, we can't do an episode about the US without at least mentioning a bad story about each of the airlines. So I'm going to try not to spare. I'm just going to say one good story about JetBlue because, unlike uh, <laughs> United, sorry, because I know that some people. I probably love United or at least appreciate them and we don't not always but unlike uh, United uh, that killed a dog Jet Blue saved a French bulldog late so, it was a month ago probably just when you had arrived in California there was this uh, French bulldog very cute uh, dog if you're into dogs that started turning blue so it was not uh, breathing and Holy two crap. yeah and two of the um attendants Came and used the same material, you know, the the oxygen a bottle that he would use on a passenger. Gave him some hair, making he felt great, making sure everything is all right. They were ready to divert a plane in case they had to. They didn't have it in the end. Then of course, it's great PR. They didn't do that for PR, obviously. But it's look. This is how you hope people would react, like being so kind, and yeah. all the other passengers were kind. You know, it's a. I mean, it was. It's a great story. There's a little video online. I think there was like a few photos of that French bulldog with the with the oxygen mask on his nose. It's very uh, cute. Wow, so, that's uh, a great story. Exactly, great story. All's yeah. well that
0: ends well, and all that.
1: And it's really rare to hear a bad story about JetBlue. Uh, so I've got to mention the three uh, United was at D so Chicago they- <laughs> It seems to be a lot of delays all over the US this summer yeah. for some reason. Weather, uh, yeah. They had more than 12-hour delay and uh, when people were asking, okay, so what's going to happen because we have to spend the night, they denied that they had to give hotel vouchers. They refused to give food vouchers because they said, oh, well, you know what, anyway, it's too late, the airport is almost closed. So <laughs> then they gave families uh, cots and blankets to stay overnight at ORD, only that everybody had to be woken up at uh, 4 a.m. because airports Regulation, okay, maybe that's not a fault of United, but they should have known. It says that you cannot have any cotton blanket after 4 a.m. So they had to be woken up and they cleared the entire area that they were reserved for them. So, and they still not to wait. And they were like parents and, you know, kids and elderly people. And I mean, I don't care if it's RRD regulation or United, but I mean, if you care about
0: people, you don't treat them like that. No, <laughs> you know? no, absolutely. You know? And why? I, I, well, maybe the hotels were in the area were full because I mean of I course think- we in the EU we would have all got our you know our however many six hundred and fifty euros or whatever it is yeah but exactly. not in the US
1: Delta threw a passenger off because he didn't have his phone on airplane mode which seems <laughs> a little bit of an overreach I've yeah, I've does. heard lately I I, I know we, you should do it obviously. We're not always taking the size of passengers. Your know, passengers are really act like dicks. It seems in that case that it was not, and maybe. I don't know. The flight attendant had a bad day and put him out. But for me, the worst story is I think it was only yesterday. the American airline this time. This uh young Chinese lady, I uh, think with her partner, had booked multiple flights with AA to fly with her cello, and a cello is pretty big. And she actually had booked a second seat for the cello because, of course, you cannot just put it in the overhead bin if you've yeah. seen a national cello. And on their last leg, it was a seven thirty-seven. She had strapped in. The cello was strapped in the chair and just as boarding was completed the flight attendant came and said well you cannot stay here your cello is above regulation I don't know if that's the case or not. Maybe it is, because they have special regulations. Each aircraft, that is only regulation about whether or not such a large object can be put in. But the thing is, they had allowed her to book, and she had mentioned it was a cello, that allowed her to board, that allowed her to stay, and they gave her, like, the special, you know, like, seat belt to attach her cello, only to throw her away. In a very bad manner, there's even... And I'm going to be explicit. I think the, the pilot was an asshole there, did a victory sign when she was thrown off. You're like, why would you do
0: that? I mean, was what? it a... Because... I, the whole th- the story is horrifying. They should be ashamed of themselves. They, they let this passenger down. I don't know if it was a victory sign or the peace sign. It was clearly condescending and mocking. and of course, what what ramifications will there be for this pilot or the airline? Probably nothing. No, but probably was... nothing,
1: but you don't do that. It's just like, it? and, and the worst part in this thing is that it seems, and okay, this is speculation, but the people inside the plane, because they were also shocked by the way she was treated, said that as soon as she was expelled, they boarded two paying passengers, so almost as they knew what they were doing.
0: Oh, that's not cool.
1: Yeah. There you go. You're like, okay, so maybe some people had status and what needed to be on that flight. Then, of course, you know, AA rebooked her and they said oh, it was a miscommunication and we rebooked her on a larger aircraft. Again, I don't know the specifics, but in that case, you're like, guys, you know, it seems, it seems sometimes, you know, I'm not always pro-regulation, but it seems that the regulation we have in Europe about protecting passengers seem to keep the airlines in check because this is not
0: really cool. I mean, Kendall, if you're listening, <laughs> give us your thoughts on this one because this seems egregious. Yeah, it it does. Uh, Since I started with a dog, I finished this
1: little bit with another dog. It's not in the US, but you sent me, I think, that piece of news. That dog that opened a cargo door off an Aeroflot. was
0: a 737-8, I think. Yeah. He opened opened a cargo door. Yeah. (laughs) They got a notification. In flight! Yeah, in flight. The pilots got an alert that one of the cargo doors had opened and this dog had got out of its cage or kennel or whatever you want to call it in the cargo hold and was scraping at the door and managed to at least unlatch it. I don't think it came all the way open. Otherwise the dog would no longer be with us, but the dog is fine. And, yeah, so clearly not securely stowed, which is pretty it's pretty alarming. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: It's crazy. Everyone was fine, you know, but still, it's a very clever dog. Dogs can be clever. Yeah, clearly, I'm, sure my, very clever. I'm sure my cats will be able to open the door as well. Uh, <laughs> a few industry news before we move on to the airport. First, that middle-of-the-market aircraft. So that's, you know, basically Boeing made probably a mistake a few years ago by killing, uh, it was 2003, I think, killing the 757. Because back then they said, okay, this aircraft is for domestic, yeah. and they were moving on, and suddenly a lot of airlines starting using the 757 for, like, like, to go to London International, and then they are missing a bit of the market, and actually airlines are craving for one, and they're now thinking, this is what we've been talking about, this story for quite a while, and... Uh, The latest news is that FedEx entered a discussion because Boeing thinks, oh, we'll also do a freighter version to minimize the cost of the platform. So let's do both a freighter and a passenger version. So that will be with FedEx. they also realizing that by 2028, uh, that's tomorrow in, you know, this kind of very long cycles, the new rules of carbon emission will probably put the 767 to death. They really need something. I mean, there's your Dreamliner for some of it, but they need like a something that sits in between, you know, the 737 Max and yeah. the Dreamliner, and they don't have it, which is why I think I hinted at that earlier, which is why currently Airbus has a sweet spot with the 321, especially the, the enlarged versions. It's not yeah. exactly what they want, but Since there's nothing else, a lot of US airlines are actually buying the 321, uh, which is why you said uh, in Alaska, they're probably keeping those guys as well, because it's exactly that. It's like a larger aircraft that can have quite a long range. They can accommodate these routes that that were thought back probably even 20 years ago, not even 10 years ago. Single ale aircraft are not made for long flights, not made for intercontinental flights had to go to London, but
0: now they are. I mean, we see more and more. So that's why the, I think, uh,
1: yeah, it's an interesting story.
0: I'm very interested to see where they go with this and how it dealt. it will be a very popular airplane just based on the fact that so many airlines have been clamoring for them to just restart the 757 platform let yeah. alone come up with something that is its logical successor yeah they haven't announced anything they keep like giving us hints there are
1: rumors that they will not go to a full Composite airframe like they did for the Dreamliner because of cost and they want to keep the cost down. They will go back to a mixed, you know, using steel and everything. So that's, uh, oh, that's what they might do. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and at Farnborough, <laughs> that. Uh, Airshow in the UK, uh, Airbus was uh, like a bit cheeky because they were like showing off their XLR, which is the neo next generation of 321, because basically saying to everyone, hey, we're the only one in the market, buy us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's clever. Anyway, uh, also Airbus, since we're on it, plans, and that's interesting, an ultra long range with almost no cargo, because that's the other thing that airlines are clamoring about. They said, okay, we can now do like very long haul flights. I and mean, we talked about the Newark to Singapore, for instance, being reintroduced or obviously the Middle Eastern carriers going to Oceania and clearly the London-Perth route. But if Qantas wants to do the London-Sydney route, which is what they want at some point, the Dreamliner cannot do it. And the current version of the ULR of 350 cannot do it either. So Airbus is actually thinking of removing all cargo (laughs) to create a cargo-less aircraft to have this ultra ultra long range I guess it's interesting development as well here
0: yeah I wonder if they're going to be saying that in five years though when the cargo market changes back again that thing is so ebb and flowy
1: to be honest I think also Airbus is not great at cargo in general no no I mean that would explain why no one's
0: got a 380 cargo configuration it's 747s
1: of course and actually there's actually currently a, a spike of all 747s being retrofitted as pure freighter because it's so much demand that they're like gonna take whatever Thai airways and others are putting off the market and gonna say oh we're gonna take it we're gonna refurbish the interior to make yeah. it cargo only. It's a big trend. So and and Airbus doesn't sell a lot of cargo stuff. They have the no. 330 200 cargo and it's the sales are. To the point, I think even Airbus might be thinking about closing it down. So that's maybe they will specialize in passengers. I don't know. I, I mean, I have, I have no clue. But I'm saying this is maybe why they say, OK, we don't understand maybe cargo as well as the other guys. So let's offer planes that go
0: like 25 hours or yeah, something. And, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think yeah. that that at least differentiates the two big manufacturers a little bit more. Mm-hmm. The other thing that was interesting at Farborough, we
1: saw the... Uh, and what guys, you see, it's related to the US. We saw the High fly 380, so the ex-Singapore Airlines that was displayed there for the first time. It, yeah. and then it went to... I think it was Porto Lisbon, the first ever time a 380 had ever landed in Portugal. (laughs) And uh, we know now who's going to take it. So they, they did like a rescue operation, I think last week for Thompson. I think that was, that must have been cool if you're Thompson. Yeah. Yeah, Like because they have the seats of Singapore, Singapore. including the first class thing, but it's going to be Norwegian, London, Gatwick to New York for three weeks this month. Obviously, both because of capacity. Like you say, often, Alex, they may be selling seats before having them. <laughs> but it's yeah. also because they have the issue with uh, Dreamliners.
0: Yes, and I think uh, this will make a welcome change from the Waymoosh Air 747s <laughs> that we've heard some horror stories about. So And a privileged style. <laughs> the privileged style, yeah, that's a classic.
1: I think it would be a nice, for once, it would be a nice surprise. I wonder how they will allocate the first-class seats, because
0: you don't have first-class on... On Norwegian. No, no, it'll be very interesting to see how they do that. Uh, it's almost like it's worth trying because I, I think they've announced actually the schedules of those, of the flights that will use the A380 over the 787. But there's been some, again, Jason Rubinowitz found this, there's been some weird delays as a result of, I can't remember the the specifics, but they're, they're delaying the flights four hours and not telling anybody. So you still show oh, up. Yeah, be- there's some capacity thing or gate availability either at Gatwick or, or JFK that means that they're having to to implement this delay, but they're not telling anybody about it.
1: And we know that it's only for three weeks because the next customer is already lined up is uh, Aerostral, which is a French company. They go to La Réunion uh, in the Caribbean. Why I mentioned that is there was an article in uh, Le Echo, which is a financial newspaper in France. So it's in French. Within that, and I don't know if it's an official number or if it's an analyst number, they say that the price per hour of leasing that the 380 is 45,000 euros. Wow. That's a lot of money. Man. That is a lot of money. <laughs> that includes insurance and crew, right? It's not just the, the, the airframe, but uh, it's, it's a lot of money. And I, I think it's good for… High fly because of course first they have customers but also they can start learning how to actually you know operate that thing. I'm not not saying flying it but you know how do you serve because you know they offer everything the crew and everything. Uh, But I'm wondering here how much is Rolls Royce giving back to airlines when their aircrafts are not flying because forty five thousand per hour has to come from somewhere. Of course the seats and whatever but it's
0: clearly the fault of. Dreamliner, to kind fly. So I'm yeah, wondering how it I mean, I read an article that it's cost them $750 million already.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, 720000000 million. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, that's a lot of money, man. That yeah, is a lot of money. I don't know if they're going to survive this.
1: Um, and they had a lot of uh, Dreamliner cancellations. They added even more cancellations. Uh, LATAM just uh, for the same reason you might fly a very old Singapore airline 777 200 <laughs> and they're really the interior is really bad. these planes were parked they were not in use anymore yeah. That shows how desperate desperate everybody is there's yeah. there are no planes a Titan is fully booked high fly is fully booked because you also have other not only the 380. there are no planes available. they are going to the scrapyards yards to fly something
0: it's crazy. It's time for us to start a uh, charter airline. <laughs> the Mayo first charter <laughs> yeah there you go. <laughs> it's <laughs> amazing
1: so because we're we're not doing shows that last for three hours because trust me our notes uh we could do like each episode for five hours i know some of you would actually love that uh, strangely enough our longest ever episode which was 72 is also now our most listened episode along with um mark's uh, episode on how to land a plane so maybe it tells us something maybe people actually appreciate very long episodes i don't know <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty amazing statistic. <laughs> yes. I was really not expecting that. I thought, you know, the one hour, 30 minutes, 45 minutes were the, the sweet spot. But people, two hours? Yeah, give it that. Maybe. Wow. One day, we'll do a, like a full 24-hour live stream of both of us talking about airplanes. <laughs> and that will be your episode for the year or something. Yeah. Right? <laughs> So to finish off, because it's still the U.S., last time you remember, I flew to Manila. Where did I fly next? I flew to Tokyo with Delta. It's one of the remaining Fifth Freedom routes that they have. Delta has canceled a lot of the routes where they took over from Northwest. Uh, Northwest was going all over the place. I'll talk a little bit more about this Fifth Freedom in the next episode of an interesting article about this. So I... The first thing I want to mention is not about Delta. It was I don't know if it ever happened to you, but I found it very, very smart. I was in the Shangri La in uh, Manila, and they provided me with the airport transfer. And I entered the car, and the the Wi Fi is exactly the same SSD and everything as the one in the hotel. So as soon as you're in the car, you're on Wi Fi, which I That's found very. S- yeah, I was like. Actually, why more and more people do that? That's very so, well, clever. Yeah, it is, right? <laughs> see, I think it's clever. Um, yeah. So so Manila is always difficult. You know, immigration can be very long. But the good thing is that because immigration is very long, then uh, security is never backed up because people are taking their time to go through immigration. So there's very, very few people at, at security. I, I went to... Um, to a lounge. It's called the Pacific Club. It's a KL and Delta lounge. Uh, There's no France, of course, there. It sucks. It's really not great. I mean, you know, you have the Cathay Pacific next door, which I tried to enter, but you know, I was not ticketed on One World. Yeah. And I, you know, they were like, sorry, sir. We, 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 they were very kind about it, but I was like, oh, my God. It's anyway, it was exactly absolutely worth a shot. Interestingly, the reason I mentioned my experience in Manila, so I had a first security to enter the airport, as it's always the case in some of these airports in the region. A second security, which is the one I just mentioned, the one you always had in airports. And then, uh, because it's a U.S. airline, a third security at the gate, which is was specially installed for Delta. Wow. So you have to go through three different securities to get to my flight, which, I mean, just know that, guys, if you ever fly this, because it obviously takes a little bit of time. And you know what? They call it Delta One. So Delta One is the new name of their business product or first product, depending on how you want to call it. Like, United is calling everything Polaris. Delta is calling everything Delta One. So, of course, when I read Delta One, I was like, oh, maybe I will have the thing with a door. No, 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 of course not. It was an old 767, Weird blue, again, seats. I felt it's really fun because I don't know if you, you don't fly Delta, but they're a good airline, by the way, but the seats seem very small. I mean, it's it's one, two, everybody has A-Laxis to flat, so It's, you know, good enough product, but they yeah. are so bizarrely small that it feels like everybody is sticking out of their seats. Like my head is like, a meter above the seat, it looks like seats for kids. That were, I mean, you, it's fine. Again, you, you're, you're, but it's it's bizarre. There's no sense of privacy. You're seeing the head of the person in front of you, like there. So there's no like a cover or simply the headrest that hides it. It's it's a bit strange. That's just, weird. It, That's it's really weird. <laughs> it is. And then when you put life flat, is that is kind of tight. I mean, it was a it was a what five and a half hour flight to Tokyo. So it was okay, and it was a day flight. So it was okay as well in sleep. I just want the IFE. The IFE is pretty good. The, The one thing, it's strange because it feels old. So the plane is old. The screen seems old. The content is okay, I guess. But because there's no remote control on the side of your seat, you have to do everything with touch, uh, and that is super good. And so I'm like, okay, it? so that that means that it's actually a newer screen because you know old screens you press for five hours, it doesn't do anything. That was, yeah. was super swift. So they made some kind of investment, and it, it works. It works quite quite uh, well. What I don't understand is, and maybe some people in the U.S. will uh, understand that or actually um, relate, is that they've now have introduced a new uniform, and you know Delta colors is blue and. Red. red yeah everybody's in violet like mauve what yeah it's, it's 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 bizarre i mean it's okay it's a nice uniform it's not absolutely amazing but it's a nice uniform i'm not saying it's not but does it's, it clash with the uh yeah that's interior the, of the airplane it clashes with everything i mean you see them obviously I mean, it clashes with everything <gasps> interesting on that thing they had a, a the safety video it's like one of these very non-fun one let's be honest but one thing that is cool is that you see the evolution of your uniform since the '50s. So each different announcement, you have a guy showing up in a '50s uniform, then like a—it's not exactly by decade because they, every time they change. So you have the uniform for the '70s, for the '80s, for the '90s, etc. Cool. It's pretty cool. So that's that's pretty cool. The thing I will never get used to in these airlines in the U.S. and I know
0: I understand why they do it is the message from the CEO before, though. So, oh, I know that's horrendous. It's so tacky. It's tacky, right? I don't think. Uh, no, I I think Delta are the only one that do that.
1: Are they the only one to do that? Yeah. Okay.
0: Maybe. Oh, actually, you know what? Uh, I think the CEO of American is in the, is he in this safety video? I can't remember.
1: Oh, and that safety video, not only they had different uniforms, each of the crew that was talking to the video, I don't know if they're actors and actual crew, but they had a different English accent. Australian, South African, Asian, and Asian doesn't mean anything with like many different Asian countries and, uh, you know, New Yorkers. It was pretty, it's well thought out. It's not, it's not Lego or it's not the one. Uh, Version America, the first one you had, but it's it's still okay. Actually, you pay attention. You're like, okay, it's 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 not bad. The one thing I will appreciate, and that shows again our dire states here in Europe, is that well, it's a seven sixty seven. It's not new, but it's blazing fast Wi-Fi. Yeah. and you're over the Pacific, like I'm leaving from Manila, going to Japan, and there's blazing fast Wi-Fi. And I'm like, how can not anyone sorted that out in Europe for crying out loud? It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's just the interesting here for Wi-Fi. and It will do. I said that I think two episodes. I think we'll do, once we have less travels, which might never happen, an episode where we talk about Wi-Fi, comparing our experience in the various airlines. This was one thing very interesting
0: about that one. Maybe it's in other airlines. iMessage, Facebook Messenger, and WhatsApp were free. Yeah, I've seen that on a few few airlines, too. I think... Alaska, maybe, or American do that. It's, it's a nice thing to do. So there you go. It's 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 a good, okay experience. I used
1: to fly Delta a lot. It seems that they haven't really moved. The food was good. The people are nice because they have this American demeanor. Would I choose that over anything else? No. <laughs> but yeah. it's much better than KLM. The next episode, I'll talk about Air France. It, it was fun to fly... Delta in the Pacific. You know, it's like flying yeah. an airline that is not on their own turf is always interesting. It is. I like yeah. doing that. And a lot of people were actually continuing to Honolulu. Ah, yeah. okay. And then I landed in Narita. You guys, listen to episode fifty if you want to know a lot about Narita. But sorry, my cat is. No, my, <laughs> no that's great. Uh, whilst we were recording last time, there was this Air Canada aircraft that landed in Narita. And oh, yeah. took the wrong turn after the runway. I think it was a northern runway. And got into a construction site. So it didn't crash into it, but just was blocked.
0: And it took like forever for them to be able to leave that. Yeah, they got like went down a cul-de-sac and couldn't couldn't get out. And they were there for hours and hours and hours. It shut down the airport for uh, several hours. That runway was completely shut down. What I don't understand is like,
1: okay, so first of all, they didn't Okay, there's no, like, you know, reverse gear, of course, on an aircraft, but they didn't yeah. push it. They actually installed a metal road, if you want, on the grass and basically pulled it. Don't I'm
0: sure but... there's a reason, but I cannot figure out what.
1: It seems that for that old time, the passengers were inside. Can you not just give a bus and take some
0: stairs? That's so bad. I don't know, right? Yeah, there's, uh, there's some weirdness in this story, and I can't figure out what's going on. Narita is a... It's strange because
1: it used to be that... It felt very empty. Maybe it's because everybody's going to Haneda now, but it felt yeah. very empty compared to the times when I used to go. In passenger traffic, when I looked it up, because I was I was curious, it's still growing. Of course, it's smaller than than Haneda. It's always been, and I think Delta is the last remaining, because they have all their slots there, and maybe there's no slots at Haneda, so they flying everything there. Uh, uh-huh. I, I I'll still contend that Narita is a great airport when you want to to go on the east side of Tokyo, because. You can actually go faster than if you arrived from Haneda, but yeah, yeah. anyway. And then I, I went to have some dinner with uh, Shin, our friend Shin, and so yeah. a lot of, of highballs, and, <laughs> and that was a lot of fun, man. That was. But how efficient is, because I had to switch airports, and I'll come to that in the next video, how efficient it is that you can switch airport, do some shopping, have dinner with a friend. I went to the Skytree Tower, you know, that super high thing that i never seen in Japan because it was on my way in Tokyo, and I arrived at Haneda with time to spare. That's you know, how it should be. So, um, Seattle. Two
0: things about Seattle. Of course, the airport experience, but did you not do like a seaplane there? Yeah, we did. We took a seaplane. We worked with the guys at Kenmore Air who, who operate seaplane tours and scheduled flights to uh, quite a few places, both in the US and in Canada, to do this tour that they do. And they, they operate out of a little, a very little terminal, with obviously with a dock, at the south end of Lake Union, right in downtown Seattle. And it was a 1953 De Havilland DHC-3. So it was because we said about my experience in the Maldives, they were DHC-6. So these were the oldest ones, the ones that I don't produce anymore. They wow. were, it was stunning, absolutely beautiful. And the pilot was said, it's a damn shame they don't make these anymore because these are the toughest, most robust airplanes ever made for for field flying or that type of flying which where you need a strong airplane a tough airplane that can endure you know grass field landings and gravel at runway landings and and obviously water landings. so and it was immaculately maintained and restored and brought up to date it had every possible instrument you could lead Greg got to sit up front so that he could film and I sat uh, in, in the cabin and you do this sort of you take off on the on the on the lake right next to all the boats I can't wait to see the footage and you do a twenty-minute tour of Seattle. That's that's narrated if you want it, or they just turn it off if you don't want it. So yeah, and then you come back and land in the lake taxi back up to the dock and step right off. And it's 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 fantastic. I strongly encourage anybody to do it. So it's like almost like doing a it's a tourist tour, right? It's something. Yeah, you can, it's a tourist okay. tour. But yeah, they like I said, they they do scheduled services to a lot of greater washington the san juan islands even up to vancouver oh wow san juan islands oh wow yeah yeah so you can uh you can go up there with them with them as well so i think a lot of people i was talking to the to the folks there so a lot of people commute can you privatize the plane as well yeah so you meaning can charter them yeah you charter can go them. anywhere they've got they've got a huge route map of charter destinations where they wow, ha- have so all of the cool. facilities they need to land so, yeah, a great experience, and and I, I strongly recommend them. And you can book online on their website, Cammore Air. I think it's com. But yeah, I was impressed with them. Did it had? you remember when I mentioned my experience on the Mali
1: episode of having this very steep descent? Our understanding was maybe in the Maldives, they wanted to avoid noise, so they were waiting until the last minute to descend. Did you have a feeling of that when you landed? No, when not you sea landed, not too bad. whatever. No, because okay.
0: you're coming in over the over the commercial district of the city, so it's it's not too too bad. I didn't notice anything um, particularly unusual about the. the Did the you tech. have um, earplugs or like you had a? You had a headset if you wanted it, but I like the sound, so I just took mine off. <laughs> and it's not loud. It's not loud. So the airplane.
1: What my mine was freaking.
0: I have the footage. I'll put it up online. I have the footage
1: of I filmed it with both of the GoPro and my camera, uh, because it's amazing. But the, the, the noise was. I mean, maybe because. I mean, after a while you get used to it, but at first yeah. it's really like. Uh,
0: no, I, I I loved having the noise, so I took my headset off. For I had I had one like I have right um, now. I had one over my ear and one off my ear, so I could hear if the pilot talked to us and also hear the, oh the engine God. noise.
1: I've never been to yeah. Seattle, so I want to try that and. So here you go, uh, our friend, uh, the husband in tow, Eric, because he said uh, a few episodes ago that the uh, thanks layover now Amber, uh, his partner, wants to go back to the Maldives and do the seaplane. So here you have two reasons to do a seaplane,
0: Eric. Now we'll have to do it in Seattle as well. Hey. So how is the airport itself in Seattle? C- SeaTac is just like so many American airports, and it's kind of you know stretched and scaled pretty inelegantly over. Decades and decades and decades. But it is, I reckon, still one of the better U.S. airports. It's, it's bright and airy. It's got amazing views on departure and actually and on arrival because you've got the Olympus Mountains – Olympic Mountains, sorry – and Mount Rainier and the Cascades as you get up a little bit higher. So, And then obviously all of the, the lakes and inland waterways that make up that part of Washington and the U.S. So the views are always stunning. And the terminal that we flew out of, or I flew out of, and I can't remember which one it was, is definitely going through some renovation. And it's all strung together with an air train. There's satellite terminals and connected terminals. And it's 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 very hodgepodge at the moment. And I think they finally realized that and are going through this major renovation because it feels a little bit sort of plywood and cardboard and duct tape at the moment. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> which actually I think is why our, our crew got lost in the first place. Cause they, you know, they some gates are closed. Some taxiways are being torn up and, and expanded. But the good thing about SeaTac as it's almost universally referred to is that it has what I think is the cheapest public transport option in America. You have this thing oh, wow. uh, called the link. It's a, it's a, it's like I think what we would call a tram in in Europe, but it's a it's a sort of light rail, light rail, yeah. But that it actually serves a lot more of of the greater Seattle area. Oh wow, okay, uh, yeah, the Link light rail, and it gets you from the airport into Seattle in about. Like thirty-five minutes, but it's only three bucks each way, five That's bucks cheap. return. It is for for the, how long it takes. It's it's very good value compared to consider the Heathrow Connect, let alone the Heathrow <laughs> Express with Gatwick <laughs> Express or the MTR or anything like that. That's unbelievably cheap. It's clean, it's modern, it's comfortable, it's easy to use. The terminal and the station are connected to each other by this this kind of sky bridge that goes right from the baggage carousels over to the station. That in and of itself is a massively redeeming feature for for the airport. And if you drive it, it's I don't know, it's half an hour, twenty minutes, twenty five minutes. It's quite far south, thirteen miles. But then you, if you hit Seattle traffic or one of the bridges is up, it can it can delay you pretty substantially. Depending on your route, you almost certainly will drive by Boeing Field, which so don't crash your car <laughs> if you're uh, if you're the one driving. Um, but yeah, I mean it's. It's fine. Of course, there's Starbucks everywhere. In the the main, I think it's Terminal C in this sort of half moon shape. There's a big central concourse and it's very sort of aviation-y decoration. There's a, I think it's a Piper Cub, correct me if I'm wrong, Seattleites hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, it's fine. It's an American airport. Get TSA pre because the the lines to go through security were. I was about horrendous. to ask that. Is
1: that bad as well here? Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah it was. I'm very we'll, very glad I had it. We'll talk
1: about TSA next time because there's quite a few developments about a TSA in the US yeah. that are quite interesting. But no more time today because that's that's also something that you know. We always say, is it good for layovers? But security in an airport is the biggest bottleneck in some of them. So in the, in the uh, US, it's
0: uh, sometimes really horrendous. I'm not saying Seattle, I don't know. But... On my four domestic flights that I've done this summer, I've been very glad I've had TSA Pre on all of them. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, just to cut the queue, let alone not having to take off your belt and shoes and take your laptop and liquids out. That's, that's a bonus. Just having a slightly shorter queue makes it so worth it. Yeah. So worth it. But yeah, it's, 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 it's fine. It's an okay airport. All the major airports on the West Coast seem to be going through renovations. San Francisco is just one giant construction zone at the <laughs> airport at the moment, which is causing delays. If you know San Francisco, because the planes can't, the big planes, basically any heavy can't taxi into the international terminal. They have to stop and be towed in because there's all this construction going on which delays everybody oh wow Um, but yeah no again an american airport it's fine
1: (laughs) i think i said it many times for me american airports not all of them but usually feel like more like a bus station not always in a i'm not saying that negatively but like you go in you're not supposed to experience anything but just taking the plane yeah you know that's that's kind of
0: what it feels like yeah,
1: yeah yeah i mean it's fine i mean we we're we're as we say also in every episode, we're probably spoiled here because we know Hong Kong and Singapore and yeah. even, even Shell de Gaulle for all its faults or Frankfurt that I'm going to go through again, man, next week. Why? Uh, even those airport in terms of the offering for shopping or drinking and food are. Probably better than yeah. the average US airport. There are yeah. there are there are a cool things like LAX International is really good, or there will be bright spots. But yeah, it's uh, but it's fine if that's what you expect, you're okay with it. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: So would you do a layover there? Yeah, because if I had a few hours, I would. You could go to Boeing Field or or Everett <laughs> and do all that. So that in and of itself is worth it.
1: <laughs> that's a good reason for me to go there. Actually, I haven't. I've never been to Seattle. I. Th- no, I've never been to Seattle, even when I was a kid, so I need, not not, not even the city, so I absolutely need to, yeah. I don't know, just for, um, to see uh, the stars of Grey's Anatomy or something. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, reaching the end of this episode, guys, we don't know what we're going to go record next, but probably just after our uh, booth trips, so you're going to LA, are you driving or are you flying?
0: Yeah, we're driving down because we got the kids in tow, so uh, That's cool. that'll be fine. Yeah.
1: How long is that? It's about five hours. I've done it like uh, in the 90s. Where I'm going next, which I'm not going to announce, which you gotta discover either because I'll probably do something on Instagram or otherwise because it will be the title of our next episode. It's also something uh, I haven't done in 25 years. I'm very much looking forward. It's a very, very long trip. And on that, everyone, safe travels. Safe
0: travels, guys.